0: you're listening to the e-commerce excellence podcast with Yoris Brion hey this is Yoris of the e-commerce excellence podcast and today i'm really excited to talk to Linda Bustos Linda is an e-commerce consultant and blogger with the Get Elastic e-commerce blog and her personal project, E-commerce Illustrated. Um, She's covered the space for over a decade now, and uh, she's worked with companies large and small on conversion and digital transformation projects. So I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting episode. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. Excited to be here.
0: Cool. Um, yeah, before we get started, maybe it would be interesting to tell a bit more about your background. Where did you come from in your career? How did you yeah, get started? And then how did you end up in e-commerce? How did you get to this point?
1: Well, I kind of fell into e-commerce by accident. Uh, I was an SEO and PPC manager and usability kind of consultant with a digital agency originally. So we were working a lot with... Um, Small businesses that wanted kind of brochureware sites, right? And then we got one client that I was assigned to that was an uh, e-commerce business-to-business promotional products kind of uh, company where they had to. We had to work through all of the decisions of the features and functionality of this from the ground up build. So back in like the mid two thousands. We didn't have e-commerce platforms that necessarily had things like filtered uh, navigation and faceted navigation just out of the box, right? You had to actually work through those use cases and uh, dis- figure out how to display products uh, in the right way in the product grid and, and all that kind of stuff. So that was such an interesting and uh, high maintenance, maybe? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Project because uh, it was just so complex, but I really fell in love with it. And um, at that point, you know, I really got a a taste and a love for e commerce. So at that time, too, I had just started blogging on the side just as a hobby, as a pet project for myself. And 2006, 2007 was kind of the cusp of social media as well. It was kind of before. Businesses and marketers had joined the party, right? So um, Mm -hmm. social media was just emerging as a way that you could integrate with seo and digital marketing and e-commerce as a way to promote your business and so i started blogging about that quite early on and then that transitioned into an opportunity with the get elastic blog it was very young um it had been around for a few months and uh and i was hired to kind of join them full-time and build out that e-commerce blog so i was able to apply some of the stuff that i was doing with seo and ppc and social media and 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 just write about that for people to apply that to their e-commerce sites. And then um, I did that blog for 8 years. And then I transitioned into the consulting world. Worked with, um, like you said, retailers big and small on conversion product projects. And then recently rejoined Get Elastic to continue the uh, talking about e-commerce again.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And and, and over the, those years, you've seen a, a lot of evolution, uh, I, I guess. And it's, it's good to have someone who has that overview of the industry as well. That's really interesting. Um, so you know a lot about what's going on in e-commerce. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing today uh, in digital commerce?
1: So one of the biggest trends I'm seeing right now, uh, so there's two different contexts, right? There's Larger companies that have, uh, they started in physical retail first and then added e-commerce after as another arm of their business. But there's also this great group of people that have started digitally native, right? Got just gone direct to e-commerce and and grown it that way. A lot of solo entrepreneurs and people taking advantage of how easy it is to get up and running on uh, platforms such as Shopify or marketplaces like Amazon, and um, and so so the trend that I see with these startups and entrepreneurs is that there's uh, quite a bit of opportunity on social media to oh, actually grow your business. And Facebook just crushing it. Like there are some businesses that I've had the pleasure to meet or hear talks from or know personally that um, are just crushing it with Facebook and the targeting options that they have and some of the features that um, are available through. Uh, those ads and the natural receptiveness that that social users have to products and and great marketing. So I think that's one of the biggest trends for the small companies.
0: Okay, so um, yeah, you mentioned companies really crushing it on Facebook. Are there any good ways to cr- Well, what are the best ways to crush it on Facebook in your opinion?
1: Well, I think the number one thing is you need to find the right growth hacking partner, somebody who actually really knows how to get results mm-hmm. on the platform. So um I have worked with some companies on um, you know, just doing general audits of their marketing programs. And I kind of see it either going one of two ways. Either you have an excellent partner who really knows what levers to pull and how to um, leverage everything that Facebook and Instagram and and those platforms have to offer. And others that are just babysitting your account, maybe putting a very junior person on uh, your account and really not getting any performance results. And sometimes I've seen the wrong messaging And the wrong targeting pointed at the wrong audience, right? Stuff where, like, you're preaching to the choir to the lookalike audience and you're giving, um, You know, deals and offers to people that haven't already liked your page versus building awareness and really introducing your brand to people that haven't joined your Facebook page or haven't visited your site yet, and that's the reverse strategy, right? Or in pay-per-click, targeting the wrong um, geographies sometimes with with campaigns, it's it's really insane. So um, I think number one, like if you want to grow your business. Picking the right partner and making sure that those programs are actually delivering ROI is really important. And I do believe that you need to spend money to make money. So sometimes you can be uh, a small company and look at how much it might spend, uh, how much it might cost to do a Facebook campaign and shrink back from that, right? Like, well, we can't afford 5K or $1,000 a month, for example, You know, to get a campaign running. And that's on the very, very low end. And if you don't have... A good budget to start out with, and then, then your agency can't really—they don't have a lot to play with for you, right? So they're gonna either put um, put you into just a, a very basic maintenance account that's not in growth mode, or you know you're just gonna get flat results. So I mean, if you don't really have um, a lot of revenue to support marketing spend, then that's where you have to kind of look at—you um, know—do you have a strong enough uh, business plan and vision and product market fit where you can go out and raise a little bit of money so that you can build that traction and build that awareness and you know, not focus on taking profits for yourself in the beginning, but actually growing the business and, and investing in these channels. That's a decision that everybody has to look at seriously.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I get it that when you're just starting out and you have to spend a lot of money on, on advertising, it can be daunting, but um, there's no other way basically you have to spend a little while or a lot if you want to if you want to grow um i also agree on uh picking the right partner um aspect there i mean i run the agency and uh oftentimes price come comes up and like there's always someone cheaper right there's always someone who can do it like you can find someone on fiverr and um yeah that's that's gonna be cheaper but they're not going to get the same result, Results, and I think that's a, that's an important thing to keep in mind. If you uh, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, right? So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. pick someone. Yeah, pick the right partner. Totally agree there. Um, so uh, are there some of the basics that you see people struggling with? Um, like some of the, the stuff you you already uh, mentioned, like not spending enough money or targeting the the, the, the wrong region. Is there are other stuff that you notice on, on consulting projects where, um, yeah, they were not getting some of the basics, right? Because I know there's a lot of tendency to talk about trends and, and let's see what 2020 brings because that's right around the corner now when we're recording this. Um, but, um, yeah, some, I often find that a lot of people get lost on the next shiny object and they don't have the basics in order. Um, some of those basics that you notice that people still struggle, struggle with,
1: well, I think the biggest challenge kind of dovetailing off of the you know you have to spend money to make money is understanding how much it truly does cost to acquire customers mm-hmm. and understanding what different activities you know what the ROI are on on um, different channels and platforms that you are spending on. But then also tying that back to the product level and the average order value and how much discounts are you giving and where does affiliate uh, margin start leaking, these kind of things. Because at the end of the day, you know, like, if it costs 40% 40% of your average order to acquire customers, you are you could grow like crazy and never be profitable. So mm. that's really challenging because there's a lot of downward pressure on prices and upward pressure on discounting um, to, to keep customers too, right? You can get a, a great email list and a lot of social followers and stuff like that, but they might only respond to your sales and your offer codes because they know that they're going to come eventually and maybe your product isn't so indispensable that they need to be buying every two or three months so i think that's the most difficult um, thing to manage is there there's kind of this marketing adage that that's been floating out there for years that it costs 10 times or 20 times as much to um to to get a new customer as it as as it is to keep a customer but that's not really true in e-commerce it costs to keep customers as well because Mm -hmm. you have to keep marketing to them and and um you have to understand what customer lifetime value is and you can never really sit back and, and rest on the customer base that you have. You have to be very hungry and constantly acquiring new customers. The second part of that is, um, is that consumers and, and, uh, Trends as a whole are very flaky and they go through cycles. So you need to always be thinking at least a year ahead, two seasons ahead, no matter what product that you sell, because if you have um, a product that maybe people buy once and then that's it, then you're not going to have tons of customer lifetime value, right? Um, If you have products that are consumable and people come back, um, that's another story, but the freshness of your catalog staying up to date with you know what people prefer and also understanding the competitive environment because one of the kind of pitfalls of becoming successful especially if you have a very unique business a very unique product is that once it gets good once you start getting a name other people are breathing down your neck to copy it knock it off uh, do something similar and then you get into having to defend your ip and defend your uh, value propositions and that kind of thing so if you want to get into e-commerce you just have to accept the good and the bad and and uh, like steve jobs said you know stay hungry stay foolish um expect that you're going to have to fight against disruption from all different angles and and be prepared for that
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I think um, one of the areas um, entrepreneurs that just start their e-commerce uh, often overlook and I, I totally get it is is branding but um, building a strong brand is definitely, um, a bet for the future because if if uh, those copycats come breathing down your neck, then you'll have at least your brand, and that's where uh, you'll be ahead of uh, of your competitors. I think.
1: Yeah, and uh, and Amazon has a big problem there because all the visibility is is within Amazon. There's lots of tools like Jungle Scout and others that have been built purely for people to um, get some visibility into what's doing well on Amazon so you can join the party yourself Mm -hmm. and label your own stuff in that space. So um, that's kind of another threat, you know, that that's emerged out of the great opportunity in e-commerce is that, uh, you know, there's just someone's always watching you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And trying to to basically steal your success. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, one of those trends that we've seen last, I don't know, two years probably, um, and, and it's becoming increasingly um, ever-present, um, it's AI. Um, I feel like a lot of tools uh, have to show in the term AI because they think it, it'll, it'll help them sell. What's your take on, on AI? Will, will it have an impact on e-commerce? Will it have an impact on the way people buy and sell?
1: Um, that is an excellent question. I, I just saw an article shared on on Twitter yesterday from Gartner, and they were saying by 2025 that 80% of marketers were going to abandon personalization due to lack yeah. of ROI. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a very sobering thought, right? And Gartner has been wrong on a, on a ton of things. So let's just get that out of the way. They they have also predicted that by 2020, which is what, two and a half weeks from now? Um by 2020, like 80% of all interactions would happen through an AI-driven chat bot, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we can take these predictions for what they are. They're they're just predictions, they're ideas. But yeah, with machine learning, there's um there's a lot of potential with it. But I think that the image of AI and machine learning is that it's a lot closer to perfect than it really is right now. Mm-hmm. And um and so, so it, it's nice to think that there's going to be a machine algorithm that can make all of your merchandising decisions for you. But if you're anything smaller than Walmart or Amazon or a, a massive, highly trafficked site, you're not going to get the data um, that, that that makes accurate, predictive, personalized Recommendations, especially if you have a large catalog, right? When you think uh-huh. about even A/B testing, how much traffic do you have to get to a certain page to get a statistically significant result on an A versus B experiment? When you're dealing with a uh, a large catalog and all the permutations of you know affinities between product A and product B, person bought this might also like this. A lot of personalization engines, you know, that that do use machine learning and they have been. Using machine learning for the last decade, this isn't a new thing that just popped out of nowhere. Um, this this is kind of how these algorithms work. They can be kind of funky, and especially when you first implement them. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know I've seen product associations where there's a, a Croc shoe, you know those those uh, yeah. rubber sandals. Uh, associated with a very high-end leather boot you know okay. those two things together and maybe that was based on a recent purchase right maybe mm-hmm. somebody bought a crop for their kid and 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 a, and a leather for themselves but that's definitely not what's happening on the aggregate so it's tricky it's dangerous to rely too much on the machine if you don't have a, a lot of data to feed it
0: yeah and I think a lot of people overrate uh what it the capacities of it it, it sounds fancy and uh all new and solves all the problems but uh yeah it's good to be a little bit uh skeptical on some ends and then really um keep an eye on on what it is actually doing and how it's working um let's let's talk a bit about mobile um i know you're really into ux and, and conversion optimization what are some of the biggest mobile mistakes merchants make
1: well, um, the, the nice thing is, is that responsive design is is kind of so accessible that you can go in and buy a responsive theme for $100 or less, you know, in some of these um, theme marketplaces. And, and it doesn't require the effort that it did when responsive design first rolled out, right? Mm-hmm. You had to have a designer and the developer working so closely hand in hand to make sure that um, s- something on one end didn't break on the other end and that the breakpoints were right and that the content reflowed in the right way and all of this kind of stuff. So it's kind of nice that that is not the, um, the, the massive time and money investment that it was before. But you have to be really careful that when you do pick a theme, that there aren't some you're not adopting some mistakes that have been coded into those themes so some Mm. of those uh mistakes that i see is uh, like definitely with the filters and facets and the sort features that um as you know on any product list whether it's a category or search results or other type of landing page that you have with uh products merchandised on it and you want to have a way to refine those three thousand results you know down and help people um get to that tighter set it's it's hard when when all of those filters and facets are collapsed behind um, a small icon right so um, yeah. testing that behavior and sometimes making the development changes on the back end is a lot more work than just you know building it um, like you can you can spend a lot more than that initial hundred dollars that you spent to actually get it Performant and to get it uh, usable, so definitely um, go through, make those decisions, pick your your template well, and also uh, consider the different things with how content scales down, especially on your home pages. Right, so when yeah. things are developed for desktop, they oftentimes just scale. Uh, scale down to the mobile view, and then you can't read text. And maybe there's a, a an image that kind of loses its context because it doesn't crop itself to a more, you know, user-friendly or visually appealing uh, dimensions. And call-to-action buttons can sometimes get lost. And especially if you have one of those carousels that that um, scroll or, or uh, change, then mm-hmm. those little buttons can kind of overlap over the call to action and it just becomes a mess. So understanding how to present content in the optimal way on mobile and how that's different than desktop and planning for that and doing the little bit of extra work at the creative stage um, to make sure that you have different assets that are optimized are really important too. And then another thing, too, is just to consider that uh, responsive design might not be what you want or need. Like if you're a bigger um, site and you have the budget for it, actually considering having a separate uh, adaptive site Uh that is different from your desktop and optimized for mobile, there's some speed advantages to that. And, uh, and of course speed is really important for conversions. So, Mm -hmm. um, if you have the budget for it, I am seeing a trend away from responsive design and, and towards adaptive domains, uh, in, in at least the, you know, internet top 100 sites
0: yeah and I, I think that's uh, that's important to, to mention I mean responsiveness is fine uh, to get started but I, I think the main problem with it is that a lot of uh, the decisions there are um, well basically the design is then responsive for the screen if you know what I mean but it should be responsive for the experience whereas and that's a different uh, different approach I mean you can uh, have because if you make it responsive you, you need to make some of the decisions and things that you mentioned like the filters and sorting options on, on collections pages, that, that's super important because you the experience and, and and the goal of someone on, on mobile is really they what they try to get accomplished there on the collections page is to narrow it down to find a product they really like or want. And um, if you make it hard by having those filters or sorting options hidden behind an icon or leaving them to get uh, away altogether, just because you don't have the space on the screen, well, then that's not ideal. Then you're not optimizing for the experience or or, or what the user is trying to accomplish, but you're just optimizing for the uh, for the screen. And uh, I think that's a yeah, an an important uh, nuance uh, to make. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that it. I mean, obviously, you have to have it collapse. But there are certain ways to keep it visible, right? So you can mm-hmm. pin your, your filter button and have it kind of floating or uh, on, always visible as somebody scrolls. That's a great thing to do. And also to make sure that if they do expand that and they want to apply a filter, that the product set doesn't reload right away, that somebody mm-hmm. can apply multiple color or size filters or whatever it is um, before they reload. So it's not a constant you know, back and forth process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I know you're passionate about UX and conversion optimization, just like me. So um, it, it, it's the beginning of the year uh, when this uh, episode is going to be live. So it's going to be January. Uh, people are uh, making plans for 2020 if they haven't already done that. How How can an e-commerce company best prepare for 2020 to make it a, a big success?
1: Yeah. So I think the nice thing about having the luxury of time being in January is that if if your peak season is in holiday, you have some lead time to make investments in your development and your customer experience and maybe some integrations that you might want to make and be able to test them and all that kind of stuff. You have a lot of time before the next holiday season. So think about the the features and functionalities, the offers. Uh, Maybe it's geo segmentation that you want to have right so that you'll be able to have your black friday deal start applying on on the west coast if you're in the states you know in the west coast three hours later than on the east coast and and make sure that um that those things are recognized or it might be that you want to have um certain promotional uh discount codes that can't stack uh there's a lot of uh promotional logic that maybe you want to have next year and now is a great time to to get started and plan that but when it comes to looking at like what happened in um, the holiday season 2019 and how that applies to 2020 a lot is gonna change right so um, the holiday season is going to start a couple days earlier next year this year we actually had Black Friday falling on the um, the latest possible starting not in 2020 now. (laughs) But yeah, it it was a very start to Black Friday. And how does that impact consumer behavior? And and, um, there's a lot of pressure to start your discounts even earlier, pre-Black Friday. So now's a great time to look through your data and and actually see what happened. What were the discounts that were responded to? Match that back to profit where your shipping offers um, comparable with your average order value were you losing money take a look at the the profit and and um, the revenue not just the total orders and responses to your marketing and that kind of thing because uh, you know definitely, Black Friday is meant to bring you back into the black, right? And I think that now, because of the Cyber Monday and and consumers' access to so many deals, that it can kind of become, you know, holiday is all about discounts. You have to make sure that you're choosing the right um, discounts to to actually add. Add to your bottom line at the end of the year and not um, bleed that margin out too much. So those are things that you can start analyzing today. Go do a retrospective over your holiday. Um, There's a lot of information about what happened to the industry as a whole, you know, across retailers. So like Salesforce and Adobe put out some really great aggregate metrics that you can look at and kind of benchmark against your own business and you know how looking at, at when promotions started and when they peaked. They peaked at around thirty percent this year for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So keep that in mind when you're planning. You know how competitive you want to be, and when you start uh, turning that machine on next holiday.
0: Yeah, that's actually excellent advice. I, I think it's uh, for people who um, do this exercise wait Friday. They all. All of a sudden, they start panicking and thinking, oh, we should start working on that. So now is a good time to uh, think about it and and, and plan ahead. That's really great advice. Um, hey, Linda, this has been absolutely great. And we could probably go on and talk about it for hours about uh, e-commerce. But um, we're uh, running out of time. And I just want to make sure how they can find you and uh, learn uh, more about you. What's, what's the best place for that?
1: Well, um, there's a few different ways. So uh, check out Get Elastic. I'm a contributor there. We also have a lot of uh, we have a lot of e-commerce experts that um, contribute to that blog regularly. And so you can find me there on LinkedIn, um, Linda Bustos on LinkedIn. I'm Linda Bustos on Twitter. And if you want to check out my other blog, e commerce Illustrated, uh, that's actually um, got a lot of uh, ideas from homepage through checkout to help um, increase your. Uh, mm-hmm. Usability for various factors of like, you know, category pages, search, landing pages, checkout, et cetera.
0: All right, cool. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Lena. It's, uh, it's been absolutely great.
1: Thanks so much, yours.
0: The e commerce excellence podcast is sponsored by Dexter.agency. We help e commerce business owners scientifically increase revenue without needing more traffic. Ready to discover a more reliable way to increase conversion and, more importantly, revenue? Register for our free training, The 5 Transformations That Double E-commerce Profits at dexter.agency/webinar